About four weeks into a series called uh, The Songs of Ascents, uh, essentially Psalms 120 to 130, uh, 120 to 134 are known as, or they're called the Psalms uh, of Ascents. Uh, these Psalms of Ascents were most likely written uh, as songs to be sung uh, as Jewish travelers were going to Jerusalem uh, to worship uh, God. Uh, and the idea was that it would be on their journey, their hearts would be uh, prepared uh, for worship as they sang these songs. Um, and, and I think that these uh, songs also have a pretty good bearing or significant bearing and application for uh, the life of a, a disciple of Jesus uh, as well. Uh, if you will, uh, you can turn to Psalm 123. Uh, I'm going to pray for us, and then we'll read the psalm and get going. So let's pray. Father, I thank you uh, for your word. Uh, I pray uh, that um, as we uh, are distracted by lots of things going on uh, in our hearts and in our lives, that you would uh, draw our uh, mind's attention and heart's affection uh, towards you. Uh, Lord, I pray that your word uh, would just be uh, transforming and that it would just move us uh, to worship you. In Jesus' name, amen. So you never know what to say when you're, you, know, you have to initiate something and come up uh, to a stage, uh, especially, and uh, I'm really thankful for basketball season because it's bailed me out here for about the last five times I've preached. Uh, anybody keeping up with uh, the series? I guess it just started. Uh, is anybody disappointed? No? Okay, so we have uh, people who either like Golden State or hate LeBron. Uh, oh, oh, we have, do have some LeBron uh, folks. <laughs> That's what happened uh, to Cleveland in game one. Uh, sorry. Uh, no, so I'm happy. I'm thankful uh, for basketball, and uh, it creates a really easy and good, uh, comfortable segue and something to mention. Um, because it has no bearing on anything, uh, let's open up uh, to Psalm 123, and we'll read through. Uh, that was my wife uh, leading the, uh, the laughter. Psalm 123, a song of ascents, to you I lift up my eyes, O you who are enthroned in the heavens, behold, as the eyes of servants look to the hand of their master, as the eyes of a maidservant to the hand of her mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God till he has mercy upon us. Have mercy upon us, O Lord, have mercy upon us. For we have had more than enough of contempt. Our soul has had more than enough of the scorn of those who are at ease, of the contempt of the proud. So throughout the series so far, Ben has uh, done a really good job of, of setting up how the Psalms uh, of a sense are, are really relevant to Christian discipleship. I know sometimes when we look at uh, the Old Testament, or we have this tendency to see Old Testament and New Testament as uh, separate or distinct or, 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 you know, one less valid than the other, but it's, it's not the case. Uh, and, and Ben has done a great job of uh, showing us how the Psalms of Ascent actually serve us well uh, as followers of Jesus and, and showing us what it's like uh, and, and preparing our hearts as we follow Jesus. Um, and uh, Psalm 123 uh, is not really any uh, different. Um, so if you look uh, back at the psalm, we'll kind of be going back and forth. Uh, but in verses 3 and 4, the psalmist writes, Have mercy upon us, O Lord, have mercy upon us. For we have had more than enough of contempt. 
Our soul has had more than enough of the scorn of those who are at ease, of the contempt of the proud. Now, unless you watch uh, courtroom TV shows, uh, scorn or contempt, uh, especially contempt, might not be uh, too familiar uh, of a term. And a good tip, anytime that we're studying uh, scripture and we kind of come across uh, a word that we don't understand, um, you know, it's all right to take the advice of our elementary school teacher uh, for a while and use uh, context clues, uh, but, but we want to go and uh, take a, a look at the word uh, in a dictionary and look it up. Uh, that can be really helpful. Uh, as a matter of fact, when we were uh, preparing, as we were reading through, I was reading through Psalm 123, uh, I guess late spring, getting ready for this series, I was reading through, I was like, man, I don't think I really know what contempt really means other than what I've seen like on Matlock. Uh, and so I looked it up, and that was uh, really helpful. And then just a couple days ago, somebody was at my house, and they had read Psalm 123, and they were like, hey, man, I know I'm a grown adult, uh, but I, I had no clue what contempt meant until I looked it up. This is a really good rule of thumb if you're, you're studying Scripture, you're studying the Bible. Uh, you know, we use the context clues. Thank you, elementary school teachers. I also want to go back and, uh, you know, look up the word. But the word contempt actually means uh, to disregard or undervalue, to consider something worthless or insignificant, uh, consider uh, something uh, very unimportant uh, that should actually be very important. So to, to uh, have contempt towards something is, is to disregard something that really should have been actually taken into account. And so if you go back and you look at the, uh, what the psalmist writes in verses 3 and 4, um, with that understanding, and you kind of have a better understanding of contempt, you can kind of see the, the guts of him. And he says, have mercy on us, O Lord, have mercy upon us. We have had enough of being undervalued and disregarded, counted worthless and cast aside. Our souls have had enough of the mockery and the sneering of those who are at ease and those who are proud. Really, if we look at uh, this, this particular psalm, you really hear the cry of someone who, who feels oppressed, who feels kept down, um, one who is uh, being pressed in, so to speak. And uh, the psalmist really gets it and, and, and makes the case that anybody who's actually seeking the kingdom of God will experience uh, contempt of some sort. Um, Jesus explains it. Paul lays it out also in the New Testament. And if you go through uh, all of Scripture, uh, you actually see uh, how those who are seeking the kingdom of God, um, those who are seeking the kingdom of God, do experience the contempt of the world. And so, uh, the first the first point uh, that we just want to take away from reading this psalm is that those who are seeking the kingdom of God, those who are following after Jesus, uh, will, will definitely experience uh, the pain and scorn, uh, or will experience the pain of the scorn and contempt uh, from our own selves if, as we seek to follow after Jesus, from our culture and from our world as we seek to follow Jesus, and also as we see in Scripture from uh, the enemy who seeks, uh, seeks uh, not good things for us. Um, so that's the first point, uh, that those who are seeking the kingdom of God will experience, uh, will experience contempt and will experience uh, scorn. Now, uh, you know, there are lots of different times, uh, if, if you keep up with the news or if you keep up with uh, the culture, you realize that a lot of people have a bad taste in their mouth uh, towards Christians, uh, and, and they have contempt towards Christians, or the world may have contempt towards uh, Christians 
uh, when Christians may be acting contemptible uh, and may be acting foolish. Uh, but that's not what uh, the, the, the psalmist is talking about here, uh, for sure. So there were three ways that we experience uh, contempt. The first way is we, can, we experience contempt uh, of our own flesh, right? Um, Galatians 5, 17, and 24 Uh, Paul writes, for the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other. And those who belong to Christ have been crucified with its passions, excuse me, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. What we see is that disciples of Jesus are not their own, but they belong body and soul, both in life and death, to God and to their Savior, Jesus Christ. So the spirit and the flesh uh, are at odds, uh, and to ally, for us to actually be on this journey or on this path of discipleship, following after Jesus, uh, means that we will experience the contempt of our own flesh, because to be an ally with one means to be at odds uh, with the other. Following Jesus also means that uh, we'll experience contempt uh, from the world around us. Um, Here's an example. you know, for, for lots of us, we're involved in social issues or political issues, right? And we get convinced uh, that there's something, there's something good about a particular movement or ideal, um, and, and we kind of align ourselves with it and we go with it. Uh, and, and it's good because a lot of times we find in ideas uh, a common ground that they actually share with the gospel. And, and, and so Christians uh, champion that and they push that and they want good uh, for that. Uh, but if we don't have eyes that are able to see Uh, sometimes we can kind of get drawn in and miss where those things begin to divert from the gospel. Um, And if we take the step of following after Jesus, uh, sometimes it can create uh, some uh, contempt uh, from from those uh, on the other side. Um, So following after Jesus uh, can lead us to experience contempt uh, from uh, the world as well. And then Paul uh, writes in Ephesians uh, 6. He says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against the authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil and the heavenly places. We are in a battle not against flesh and blood. So we have three areas that we as believers, if we, when we read this song and we're wondering, hey, how, how does this actually apply to Christian discipleship? One, we can see that as followers of Jesus on the path of discipleship, we'll experience contempt. Contempt of the flesh, contempt uh, of the world, and contempt uh, of the enemy. And if you've uh, experienced any sort of uh, contempt, whether it's from yourself or the culture or the the enemy, you know that it can be a pretty uh, disorienting and uh, uncomfortable uh, experience. I got to uh, coach basketball um, when I was in college. Coach basketball is probably not a fair uh, rendering of the word uh, coach. Uh, I was uh, dating my wife Kelly at the time, and she played basketball at Tacoma Falls. Uh, and so I would be at uh, you know games and stuff. Uh, and the coach at the end of the year was like, hey, have you ever thought about coaching? And I was like, I'm pretty bad at basketball. Uh, but I was like, hey, this could be a good opportunity to spend more time with this girl that I'm dating. Uh, and I'm not real sure, but I, I, I took the opportunity uh, I was really, truth be told, I was a lot more like a, a companion for this older guy, and I was also like a travel partner, 
so I got to drive 15 passenger vans. Uh, I did probably zero coaching. Uh, with, and it, it was probably one of the most uncomfortable things ever. Have you ever gone to do something that you were really not that good at? Um, but you're dealing with people who are really good at it and you're like supposed to be trying to like, help them be better? Like, I had zero idea what I was doing. I'm not even sure if I could tell you all the rules of basketball. And I'm out here trying to like, oh yeah, work on your layup a little bit better. You know, I didn't even know, you know, which foot and hand went up at the same time. Uh, and these are like college athletes. Um, but it, it, it kind of reminds me, I, I, so the one thing I did do well is I got to drive, right? Driving doesn't make me uncomfortable. Traffic doesn't really make me uncomfortable. But uh, when we would go on trips as a team, if the guys and the girls went together, we would rise on a huge like tour bus. Uh, and a lot of times, because we were in Tacoa in northeast Georgia, wherever we went, we typically would have to go through uh, Atlanta. That wasn't that bad. You could you know, go to sleep or play cards or something on the bus. Uh, but whenever it was just the girls, we got like rented 15-passenger vans. Uh, and I can remember many times driving through Atlanta traffic uh, in this 15-passenger van, uh, which is bad enough in itself. Uh, but if you're familiar with Atlanta traffic, do you, you know where 85 and 75 like merge together? And you just wonder every time, like, why would anyone ever do this? I mean, they don't go, like, across each other where it could be crazy traffic like 20 and 285 do. I mean, it is like 75, 85. They're just like, hey, we'll dump all of the traffic in this one area and try to put you through uh, downtown Atlanta. Uh, it, it really is a terrible experience uh, if you've ever uh, had, had to drive on it. Uh, but if you're in a 15-passenger van, it's an even worse experience. And if you're in a 15-passenger van trying to follow someone else in a 15-passenger van who just happened to be an Atlanta police officer for 20 years of his life, uh, it's an even more challenging experience. This guy had zero fear, uh, and we're like cruising along, and he had, I mean, he would be going like 85 miles an hour. Maybe I shouldn't say that. Uh, he would be going like 85 miles an hour, and I'm trying to keep up and catch up with him uh, through traffic. It was a pretty uncomfortable uh, experience. I don't know if you've ever driven in uh, some, some chaotic traffic. Uh, the, the traffic doesn't scare me that bad whenever it's like standstill. It's more just really obnoxious to be in. It's when it's actually moving that it's the most intimidating. But, you know, I, I feel like that experience reminds me a lot of what the psalmist is talking about here, about feeling, being tired of, of, of experiencing the contempt of the world uh, when we experience a contempt, whether it's of our flesh or it's of the world or, or it's from the enemy, it can be a pretty disorienting and uncomfortable experience, just like having to merge in uh, to two major interstates in the middle of uh, downtown Atlanta. Uh, it could be confusing, it could be stressful, it could be disorienting. Uh, I mean, it could actually be pretty dangerous. I mean, you see a lot of accidents on uh, 7585. Um, and and the truth is, it can be really hard to even see where we're supposed to go. I don't know if you've ever, you know, been in the HOV lane. The HOV lane is supposed to be a really good idea, uh, and it is if you don't have to ever get off an exit. But if you've ever gone, like, all the way over and got in the HOV lane across, like, the seven lanes of traffic, the idea, you know, to be able to get all the way back over uh, is, is, is pretty tough. Uh, nonetheless, um, this experience of the heavy traffic, I think, is, like I said, similar for followers of Jesus when we experience uh, contempt.
Um, and there's, when we experience contempt, just like with driving, there's a couple different ways that we tend to deal with it. Um, some of us uh, just kind of suck it up and we go into traffic and you know, we may get, uh, we may miss our exit, we may get uh, turned around or confused. And then there's other of us, uh, others of us who are like uh, one of my great aunts uh, who got her license, she went and drove, she's in Noonan, uh, so I don't know where she drove, but wherever she drove, like the first couple times, it scared her bad enough that she never drove again. She's in her 80s, and she's never driven a car uh, ever again. Uh, and those of us, if we experience the contempt of the world and the contempt of our own flesh and the contempt of the enemy, uh, we can tend to respond in two different ways. Uh, there's one group, uh, some of you may be more prone to adopting the way of the world, right? We, uh, we, get in, we get in the traffic, so to speak. We get engaged uh, with the world, and then we lose sight of like, how to actually follow Jesus when we're in and amongst the world, when we're actually in the traffic. And then there's other of us who get in, we get burnt, uh, and rather than being and maintaining in traffic or using that traffic to get where we uh, need to go, uh, we hop off the exit and we just decide we're going to opt out entirely and we're just not going to travel uh, that way anymore. You have to excuse the analogy. It breaks down at some point. Uh, but, but the idea is, is that the traffic or the chaos, the contempt of the world can create for us as Christians on this path of discipleship, it, it can lend itself to creating for us a blind spot, uh, a, a place where we lose, like I said, sight uh, and ability to actually distinguish uh, where the path of Jesus is distinct from and separate from the path of the world. It could also... Uh, we may look uh, and just realize that cra- crossing you know, seven lanes of traffic to get off at our exit to actually go and follow Jesus is just going to be a little bit too risky, uh, a little too co- costly, and so we just kind of maintain uh, going the way. Uh, but the result is, uh, you know, a, a lot of this group who, who tends to go this way of, of more of kind of an assimilation uh, idea, th- they have the right idea, right? That, hey, Jesus calls us to be in and amongst the world, to engage the world, to engage the brokenness of the world. So, so they get that idea, uh, but they may miss the idea uh, over time that there has to be a maintained distinction in the way of Christ and the way in the world. And then the other group uh, can think, hey, I'm not willing to like, go get involved with the world uh, because I want to make sure that I'm following Jesus. I don't want to ever muddle the lines or get close uh, to that line. Uh, but the reality is, is that we can't actually be obedient to Jesus unless we're engaged with the world. So, uh, either way that we tend to go, which, whichever we're more prone to, and probably our personality and our upbringing, one way or the other, push us or lend us uh, to be more prone to go uh, one way or the other. Uh, but either way that you go, the disciple of Jesus, the one who's actually on this path uh, to, uh, of Christian discipleship or increasingly submitting uh, all of our life uh, to Christ, uh, really is rendered um, unable to actually follow Jesus. Uh, if we don't engage the world, then we can't take them the gospel. And if we engage the world and we fail to bring the gospel, we fail to take the gospel to the world and be obedient. Uh, and, and so neither of those are, are really options. So the question is, is, how do we keep from either adopting the views of the world as we engage the world, uh, or how do, we, um, 
how do we avoid becoming resentful towards the world and uh, becoming withdrawn from the world? And that's, uh, I think, what this psalm is really all about. It's a song uh, for the journey of discipleship, uh, of, you know, what do we do? How do we respond whenever we, as disciples of Jesus, following after Jesus, experience uh, the scorning contempt? And if you look back at the psalm, uh, you can see the psalmist's answer. Uh, the psalmist's answer uh, is right here in verse 1. He reads, uh, To you I lift up my eyes, O you who are thrown, enthroned in the heavens. We've got to notice that the psalmist focuses both uh, his attentions, uh, or his attention and the yearning of his heart uh, on God in prayer. In verse 2, uh, he goes on, Behold, as the eyes of servants look to the hand of their master, as the eyes of a maidservant to the hand of their mist- her mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God till he has mercy upon us. So how do we respond in times of contempt when we're experiencing the contempt of our own flesh, when the spirit and the flesh are at odds and they're pulling us in two different directions? How do we respond whenever we are experiencing the contempt of the world, whether we're experiencing it socially or uh, if we're somewhere sharing the gospel in another country, maybe there's a physical uh, contempt that comes uh, with it. Or maybe it's just being under, you know, some sort of temptation from the enemy. Um, We we, we set our eyes to God, right? And this is more than uh, what the psalmist calls us to is more than a a quick gaze like, oh God, I I forgot my keys. Can you help me find them? Um, But but look, look at how the psalmist describes it. He explains that he became like a domestic servant trained to respond to every indication of his master's will. The psalmist isn't going to ignore the scorn and pretend it's not there. He's not going to muscle through it or try to disconnect from it. But he turns his eyes from the circumstance to one that is personal, present, and all-powerful. He avoids losing his way by fixing his eyes on his target. I really like the, the maidservant and the servant uh, analogy he uses because uh, somebody who's had his language of I've had had more than enough, my soul has had more than it can actually bear somebody who is exhausted and at the end of their uh, rope, I mean you know we've all been at work, we've done some sort of a manual labor where you you really are just exhausted and absolutely wore down Uh, somebody with that is going to be watching their master waiting eyes glued to the signal, the hand that says like hey take a break uh, stop and, and I like that somebody whose soul is weary um, isn't going to look at a place of mercy, a place where they would get relief with some sort of a quick glance or haphazard gaze, but rather they would look with a steady and reflective and adoring gaze. The psalmist, the psalmist writes to overcome uh, distractions, to overcome uh, being distracted by the contempt that we experience, we fix our gaze on God and make knowing him experientially and serving him obediently the main business of our life. And that's the, that's the second point. So how, how do we deal with the scorn of the world? How do we avoid assimilation? How do we avoid bitterness and withdrawal and resentment? We fix our eyes on God, make knowing him uh, experientially and serving him obediently uh, the main business of our life. So let's enter into the uh, third and final point. Um, so like I was saying, the psalm definitely gives us instruction uh, on how to deal with scorn and contempt 
uh, of the world, but I think this psalm actually does a little bit more. And this is probably the most exciting part of uh, when I was reading and whenever I actually saw this, uh, it really opened it up and we're able to see it from another perspective. Because the psalm isn't just directions about, hey, how do we deal with hard times as we're following after Jesus? Um, it's more than just, hey, how do you handle this? Uh, but I think it points to and describes what's actually been done for us. Uh, Dr. Edmund Clowney, uh, when asked about uh, Messianic Psalms, which Psalms are Messianic? I don't know if you know, but some of the different Psalms are, are titled different things like the Psalms of Ascents. And there's a group of uh, Psalms that are known as you know, Messianic Psalms, or there's particular Psalms that are Messianic Psalms or, or supposedly point to uh, Jesus. Uh, and when asked the question, he's, he's an uh, Old Testament scholar, of, hey, which ones are Messianic Psalms? And he, he, he responds, he says, every single one of them. And he goes on to describe uh, or point towards Luke 24 where Jesus explains uh, to his disciples that the entire Old Testament actually was about Jesus, that the law, the prophets, uh, the Psalms, all of the Old Testament actually pointed to Jesus. The Psalm uh, 123 is actually a foreshadowing of what Jesus comes and he does. Check it out. I think that the cry of the psalmist foreshadows the cry of Jesus, who experienced the contempt of his own flesh to the point of shedding tears, tears of blood. Yet he kept his eyes faithfully on the hand of the Father, just like a servant watches his master. The cry of the psalmist foreshadows the cry of Jesus, who being the one and only Son of God, deserving of glory, honor, and praise, experienced the scorn and contempt of the proud and those at ease. Those he came to save mocked him, they spit on him, they rejected him and tortured him, and ultimately had him put to death. Yet in the face of this rejection, bearing the sin of the world and those he came to save, he faithfully kept his eyes on the hand of the Father, just like a servant would watch his master. The cry of Jesus we see here because he who experienced the contempt of the evil one, or sorry, the cry of the psalmist foreshadows the cry of Jesus who experienced the contempt of the evil one. Because Jesus was taunted by Satan and he was tempted when he was fully exposed and vulnerable. He was tempted with food when he was starving, with power when he had set his own power aside, and with respect when he was well aware of the cup that sat right before him. Yet, he resisted, faithfully keeping his eyes on the hand of the Father like a servant who watches the hand of his master. The psalm does more than give us directions about how we respond in hard situations. Rather, the psalm points us to the one who is able to actually keep his eyes fixed on the Father. Really, like if we look at it from this angle, we read, Have mercy on us, O Lord. Have mercy upon us. I think this is the cry of Jesus as he becomes one of us, praying for us, praying for mercy for us. And we know that this mercy, the mercy of God, would come by his obedience and death. The salvation and liberation of Jesus is actually the real mercy of God. It's the mercy of God being prayed for and asked for. Here, Jesus is the real mercy. When we're in a situation, it's easy for us to look and to think, hey, God's mercy is to, to, to relieve my immediate circumstance, right? God's mercy is to solve my crisis that's right at hand. But God's mercy is much bigger than the circumstance that is, is at hand. 
and his mercy, what, what he gifts us and what he has given us through Jesus Christ is infinitely more than any small, immediate crisis that we could experience. I like that in spite uh, of our scorn and our contempt uh, for God, um, he didn't adopt the views of the world He didn't leave his mission to come and save us. He didn't withdraw or become resentful. But with eyes focused on the Father, he was obedient. He was obedient to the point of death. I think Jesus is the mercy sung about in the psalm. He is the mercy that each of us actually long for. He is the mercy for really all voices uh, who who, who cry out uh, and are experiencing contempt. And while this uh, mercy has been poured out through Jesus, we know where we are now. We're in the middle of a uh, already but not yet kingdom, uh, which means that the kingdom has, has come, but we await the consummation of the kingdom at the return of Christ. And while we eagerly await the return of the king, the one who has promised to end oppression and to righteously administer justice and mercy once and for all, as we await for a kingdom of God to arrive in its fullness, we've not been left Uh, empty-handed, to wait alone, but we've been given the Spirit of God. We've been given the Spirit as a seal and a promise of his faithfulness and his return. A Spirit that leads us uh, on this journey of discipleship and empowers us to overcome what distractions we face uh, and lead us to fix our, our eyes on God. I would encourage you to take some time uh, this week. Uh, the psalm is uh, good. It's only four verses. Uh, it's really short. And uh, I know that in, in memorizing it, it, it can come back to mind. And when we experience, whether it's uh, battles uh, ourselves with, hey, how, how are we going to walk according to the spirit and not the flesh, right? Because we know those two things are actually opposed uh, to one another. When we experience like social contempt or the contempt of the world for not walking uh, according to the world, but walking in allegiance to Christ. Whenever we experience uh, contempt from uh, the evil one who would seek to, to destroy the work of God and what he's doing, we can be reminded and pointed towards the true and better faithful servant who was able to keep his eyes uh, on the Father and who's actually delivered mercy to us. So, uh, each week... Uh, we uh, enter into a time of response uh, after, uh, afterwards and uh, we come up and we take uh, communion. We dip uh, the bread uh, and the wine um, or the juice, uh, symbolizing the body uh, of Christ uh, broken for us and the, the blood of Christ uh, shed for us. Uh, this is a way that we can respond uh, and worship. If you are uh, a follower of Jesus, we invite you uh, to come to the table. Uh, if you're not, we'd ask you to uh, hang out where you are. It's not a way to try to uh, single you out or make you feel awkward, but we don't want you to come uh, say something that you don't necessarily believe because by coming and taking the, the bread and dipping it in the water juice, we're saying that we believe uh, that Jesus is who he says he is. We're saying that we believe Jesus uh, came and that he is the mercy uh, of God for us. Uh, there's also, uh, we can worship through uh, giving, uh, and there's a basket uh, in the back. And then the band will come up uh, after they take communion uh, and they'll lead us in worship uh, through song. Um, So uh, 
after you guys take communion, uh, if you have kids that you want to be in here for the baby dedication, it would be a good time uh, to go get them uh, and bring them in here. So I'm going to pray, and then we'll uh, worship through communion and giving and singing. Lord, we live in a distracted society. Uh, One thing after another comes into our mind uh, and, and then is gone. Lord, we ask that you would teach us to focus on you. Lord, we ask that um, we would always keep you uh, in our minds and that you would help us to fix our gaze uh, on you, Lord. Lord, we ask you to teach us what it means uh, to to know you uh, more truly, more intimately, and that you would just lead us to walk uh, obediently uh, to you. Jesus, I thank you for your word and your faithfulness. Um, In Jesus' name, amen.